Acts chapter 11 is, is an interesting chapter. I want to start by reading it. And I want you to be thinking about what you're hearing while we read it, because we're going to talk about that. So, Acts chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of, the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? So verse 4, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet bringing let, large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Then the voice from heaven a second time said, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Holy Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will you." will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I should stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So that's our passage for today. And we're going to take it three sections at a time. So we're going to look at the first three verses. That's our first section. And, and I want to read this again and maybe comment a couple times before we look at the notes. It says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now I want you to realize that this happened in Joppa and Judea and Jerusalem were over 50 miles away. So just put that fact in your mind. Over 50 miles away, the apostles and the believers had heard about what happened. Verse 2, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, in other words, when Peter got home, the circumcised believers criticized him. Now the circumcised believers, that just means Jews who have become believers. Really nothing more than that at this point in time. They criticized him, so they came with a critical heart, uh, a critical voice. They, they weren't... Hey, Peter, how's it going? You heard about the Gentiles. It was, hey, Peter, what's going on, man? You're eating in the house of Gentiles now? Remember, that was forbidden. As a Jewish person, that's what God was changing. Okay? It says, you went into the house of uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. So all the things that occurred, all the things they had heard, they were zeroing on, on these two things, and they were calling Peter to task. They were basically saying, hey, what's the deal? Why'd you do this? This isn't right. 
So that's, that's the first section. That's kind of the, the after effect of what happened in Joppa. So let's look at our notes. We'll say some of the same things. We'll, we'll add to it a little bit. So number one, news of Gentile conversion spread to Jerusalem and Judea before Peter got there. So before Peter got home. And so how long did it take? Well, uh, Peter stayed a few days. It says that at the end of, of chapter 10. And if it wasn't a few days that he stayed, they asked him to stay a few days. If it had been different, Luke would have told us he's a detail guy. So we could assume he stayed there about three days. So Peter stayed three days. So the word got a three-day head start on him. Okay, It's 55 miles back home. And so we have Peter's travel time. So Peter traveled from Caesarea to Jerusalem. I said Joppa earlier. That was the story before at Caesarea. And so it takes about another week. If they really got on it, if they, if they really were traveling, they, they were on a mission, they could travel up to 20 miles in a day or so. Um, but if you just were traveling, like we're just getting where we need to go, there's no fire under our feet, figure about 10 miles a day. So at, at, at 11 miles a day, it would have taken them five days. So give them five days to seven days to make this trip. So there's a, like an eight to 10 day, seven to 10 day window there. And so the news traveled faster than they did. Now remember, the news also had to travel by foot. There was no telegraph, no telephone, no email, no text message, no instant message. Uh, there was no way for, for news to travel except by foot. Now the foot may have been a horse or a donkey, which would have gone faster, but it still traveled by foot. So Theoretically, Peter traveled the same speed as the news, but the news got their way faster than him, and the news spread to uh, a, a large region, Jerusalem and Judea. And so just in the beginning, it's just a reminder, maybe not a huge deal, but I think worth mentioning, news travels. We should always be aware that news travels. It reminds me of the scripture that says, be sure your sins will find you out. That's the negative side of it. Your sins are going to find you out. Nothing, nothing is hidden from God. Few things are hidden from people. Even people who are really good about hiding things often discover they've been found out. A lot of people that are arrested find out that a lot of people knew ahead of time. Um, people that get caught, they find out people knew. News travels. Hopefully good news travels as well, but bad news usually travels faster and controversial news or news of controversy travels the fastest. And this is controversial. The idea that, that Peter went into a Gentile's house and ate Gentile food. That was way more controversial to these guys than he shared the gospel with them. They received Christ and they spoke in tongues. Seems like that might be the controversial part. But no, it was the going into their house and eating their food. So controversy travels fast. So what do I, so I was thinking about that. And I go, what, what do I need to learn about this? You know, controversy travels fast. News travels fast. A couple things. One, I need to be thinking that what I do and what I say will precede me. It will precede me. I can be rude and obnoxious in the hardware store. And then on Sunday morning, I might walk in and see the very person I was rude to, the very person I was obno obnoxious to, sitting in the pew in front of me or coming in the door to visit the church for the first time a and i may have spoiled the welcome they would receive by the welcome i gave them earlier that you know it precedes me it also lets me know that that um i need to be thinking about what i'm saying 
and thinking about what I'm doing because I am going to make an impression. And, 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 and how, I, how I am will create my reputation. And my reputation will precede me. And then lastly, it made me think that I, I really need to be able to explain my decision. I've tried to make it a policy. Sometimes I'm good at it, sometimes I'm not. But I try to make it a policy that I, I need to know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it before I do it. So that when someone asks, especially if it's something that might be seen as, I'm not sure about that, I need to be able to say, well, here's my reasoning, here's my thought process, here's how the decision was made, and this is why we're doing it. Because a calm explanation will often solve the problem. And we actually see that happening here. Peter gave a very calm explanation. They accepted it. We'll talk about that later. But news travels fast, even for Peter. Even back in the day when news traveled by foot, news travels fast. So just be aware of that. I thought it was interesting. Second thing I want you to notice is the term in verse 2, circumcised believers. Now, almost all the believers at this point in time, we're in another transition, so it's, it's changing. But almost all the believers at this point in time were circumcised believers. Um, it's mentioned, they're called circumcised because we're introducing uncircumcised believers. What you really need to know is that Jews were circumcised believers, Gentiles were uncircumcised believers. And these Jews had the idea that even as believers, as Christians, followers of the Messiah, this disciples of the apostles, even as they were converted, still clung to some of the old traditions. What you eat, where you go, clean, unclean, all this kind of stuff. And, and so when Peter didn't follow the traditions, or he didn't follow the old covenant, he didn't, cover, didn't, cover the, didn't follow the part of the law that Jesus removed, they were like, hey, what's going on? You shouldn't be doing this. Now, these people, why we need to notice them now is because some of these people, not these ones, it seems, because they accepted it, but maybe even some of these people, as good as they responded to Peter here, some of these people become the Judaizers. Judaizers is not a good thing to be. It's like the Christian Pharisee. And Pharisees are not good to be. We don't want to be a Pharisee. We don't want to be a Judaizer. The Judaizers, eventually, we're going to read about them in chapter 15 and beyond. The Judaizers followed Paul around on his missionary journeys. And when Paul left the city, they came in and they started teaching the opposite of what Paul taught. He said, you're saved by grace. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and, and master. There's no differences. We're all equal in the sight of God. And he preached that message. He left to go to the next town. They came in and said, that's great as long as you become a Jew. So you need to eat like us. You need to talk like us. You need to be like us, which means be circumcised. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not really saved. And they would come in and they would undermine Paul's teaching. So that's a group that formed out of this thinking. So it's interesting that at the end, these folks said, wow, this is great. But some of them and others who joined would become these Judaizers. So just to fill in the blanks, because I know that you guys get excited about the blanks. Um, first one there, uh, they believed that if Gentiles were saved, they also need to become Jews. Uh, they were thinking in line with Gentiles who had become Jews before Jesus. They actually became Jewish people. So they said, well, we must still need to do that. And this line of thinking would later produce the Judaizers of Acts 15 and beyond. 
So it's, it's interesting to see them appear here, even though they're, they're not fully developed. This thought process is already there in the early church. So number three in your notes from that first section, the accusation was that Peter was not acting like a proper Jew. He was not acting like a proper Jew. And I, I kind of hear a tone here, kind of a ring, a familiar ring, where we might say so-and-so is not acting like a proper Christian. So-and-so is not acting like a, a good churchgoer. And what they were doing, they were bringing tradition forward into their Christianity. They were hanging on to things that, that Jesus had let go of, issues that Jesus had solved, requirements that Jesus had ended. They were clinging to them. And their tradition, they brought it right in and made it doctrine. Yeah, you're welcome in the kingdom of God, but you need to become a Jew first. Or, yeah, well, you're in, that's great, but now that you're, now that you're a believer, you need to become a Jew. They brought that tradition in. And we can have trouble with traditions because of how we were raised, uh, the time we grew up in, things going on around us, our culture. I remember a day when uh, a guy having long hair was just really bad news in the church. Like, you're not, you're not really a good Christian if you have long hair. I remember that in particular because I used to have long hair. Come by our house, I'll show you our wedding picture. My hair was almost as long as Teresa's is now. I had a nice curly thing going on there. I was super proud of that. Now I'm like, why ever did I? <laughs> but, you know, that was the thing in the day. And, and when I was first interviewed to be a, a youth pastor, the question was asked, well, how do you deal with that verse in Leviticus where it says that having long hair is this, this, and this? And I had to go back and I had to explain what context was and what it meant and how it didn't apply. And luckily that guy's response was, well, I just wanted to know if you knew that. I agree. <laughs> so we went on from there, but I had to answer that question. Uh, uh, tattoos are a thing. Candace isn't here right now, but there's several of you with tattoos. I mentioned tattoos. I love it because every time I mention tattoo, Candace smiles. Because Candace came to the Lord, tattoos all over the place. And many of you have tattoos. And at one time, tattoo was taboo. Right? You remember that? We forget that we come to the Lord as we are. We don't wash and then come to God clean. We come to God dirty and filthy, and then He cleans us up. And, and that's what it's all about. So, so these things. Um, there were folks that brought the tradition of the hymn into the church. And they forgot that at one time, hymns were controversial. Do you know that our hymnal, a lot of our, our hymnals, the old hymns, started as new words to old bar songs? Because they wanted the music to flow out the door of the church and people to hear a familiar tune and go, what's going on? And come in. So they adopted their worship to be evangelistic. And now we sing these songs thinking they were inspired by God as part of the Old Testament. You know? And, and that's our tradition we brought in. Now, we sing hymns today. There's nothing wrong with them. We love them. But we need to look at them correctly. We look at all kinds of music. So hopefully the worship wars are all over. But, you know, there's folks that, you know, uh, King James is the only version of the Bible. Or ESV is the only version of the Bible. Or NIV is the only version of the Bible. And you better read the one I'm reading or you're reading the wrong one. Those are traditions sometimes. Those are preferences. Those are things that don't think matter to God a whole lot. 
So the accusation against Peter was, you're not acting like a, a, a proper Jew. They were bringing their traditions forward and calling them doctrines, and that's dangerous. We need traditions, but we need to view them as traditions. We need doctrine, and we need to view doctrine as doctrine. Doctrine does not change over time. Doctrine is from the mouth of God. It's clearly spelled out in Scripture. It's what we believe and what we put our faith in. And our practice is based on that doctrine. But our traditions are just the way we've done things. Some traditions should be kept because they still work. Some traditions should be left behind because they don't work anymore. Because we need to do something different. We need to try something different. So we have to be careful with that. We don't let our traditions become doctrine, and we certainly don't let our doctrine become viewed as a tradition. It works both ways. We don't lessen our beliefs to fit a culture. We never do that either. So there's some balance there. And Peter was facing the very question. And, and remember how we talked about Jesus talked to Peter three times because Peter needed to hear it three times? If Jesus hadn't heard Jesus' voice three times saying, Peter, this, this whole thing is over. There's no more clean and unclean. There's no more Jew and Gentile. Now it's all people. I'm here for all people. If he hadn't heard that from Jesus' own mouth, he probably wouldn't have been able to stand right here and, and face these people who were his peers and say, well, here's, here's what happened. And here's how it's going to go. So that's a lot out of those first three verses. The next section, 4 through 17, I won't read it, and I wonder if when I read it the first time, you said to yourself, haven't we talked about this before? Haven't we heard this one, two, maybe three times already? That's, that's what I said to myself when I read it. My first thought was, well, Dave, you're in the wrong part again. You know, you forgot to move forward. You're reading it all over again. Well, it's not. It's, it's the new part. So we read all about this in, in 10, and chapter 10, and it repeats itself in chapter 10, and then he comes back here. And he retells the entire story again. When, when you see the Bible repeating itself, you should ask yourself why. You should always ask, why is it repeating itself? Why am, why am I keep coming against this one promise over and over again? I read it in the Old Testament. I read the New Testament. I heard it on a sermon. It was on a postcard. God, why are you keep putting this verse in front of me? I would, I, would, I would venture to say that God wants you to notice that verse today. He wants you to be thinking about it right now. When we see promises repeated in scripture we go this is a big one when we see warnings repeated in scripture this is a big one wow god talks a lot about this he's pretty serious about it and here we have some parts of the story repeated three or four times in a row i mean there's not even a break it's not another book another passage it's not a, a repeat or a reference somewhere else it's, it's right here right now so we got to ask why so it says in your notes what again why? So all the verses we read today, only four of them are not repeats. And so why? Well, let's look at that. Well, number one, uh, just, just for reference, Peter's side of the story is completely told for a second time. Number two, Cornelius' side of the story is completely told for a third time. A fourth time, if you count the messengers who showed up at Peter's house and said, hey, we're here from Cornelius. So two, three, four times there. Uh, number three, who... who or excuse me, was the Holy Spirit in error? That's a question you ask. Did, did they make a mistake here? Like, did they forget they already said this? 
Well, the answer is always no to that question. Did, did the Bible make an error? Did the Holy Spirit make an error? Did God make an error? No. No, he didn't. Or is, so is there something to be learned? Well, what is something to be learned? Well, three or four ideas here. A, prejudice is an issue God wants to be perfectly clear on. This, this is an issue of prejudice. Prejudice was built into the Jewish way of life. Absolutely built in, absolutely accepted, absolutely taught, absolutely praised. They live their life with the attitude that we're better than everyone else and we need to stay away from them because they'll corrupt us. That's how they live their life. They, they walked around, walked around entire regions to avoid seeing, speaking to, or touching a Samaritan. They did the same thing with, with Gentiles. They would only deal with them when they had to and then as least as possible. Prejudice is an issue. I want to read a couple of scriptures here. Just to show you, it's not just here. Um, Romans 1.16, I'll read that one first. This says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is, a power, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So we see the order of things there. But in Galatians 3.26-29, it says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For you... For all of you were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So God is all about dying for everyone, offering everyone eternal life. The promises of Scripture are for everyone who would believe. And, and, and God in this transition really needs to make that super clear to these Jews who have spent 20, 30, 40 years believing the opposite. So that's one of the reasons it's here again, you know, because the original people to read this text weren't us. It was, it was these guys that lived right there in that day and that age. So we have that issue. We talked about that before. Uh, B, today's Christian prejudices might include, I mentioned some of these, tattoos, clothing style. It's always funny to me how the older you get, the more the clothes are silly, you know. I remember when I was a kid, my clothes were cool. And all the adults thought they were ridiculous. Now I'm the adult going, you're wearing that? That's ridiculous. They're going, no, it's cool, man. And they probably don't use those words, but you know. It's always funny. But we, we are prejudiced against clothing styles. Age. Oh, they're too old. Oh, they're too young. Uh, they're set in their ways. They don't know enough yet. Finances. Oh, they're, I, I mean, you've heard. Oh, they're, they're so rich, they don't need God. Oh, well, they're having such a hard time. They're so poor that, that they don't believe in God. No, not true. Education, skin color, political party, nationality. Because we're human, we're prone to prejudice. And I think this is here repeating to make us think about our possible prejudices. And, and to step away from them and say, God, I'm not going to think that way. Um, C, I want to say that lacking prejudice does not mean lacking backbone. Doctrine, standards, or, or just being nice. You know, we need to be nice. Well, being nice sometimes means not standing up for what I believe, not telling the truth, not having an opinion, and that's not what it means. Prejudice is this, disqualifying someone from faith because they are different. That's, that's the definition that fits our context. Disqualifying someone from faith. They can't be saved. 
They won't listen. They won't respond. We don't need to deal with them. Disqualifying someone from faith because they're different. And there is no difference that disqualifies you from faith. Think of horrible people whose testimonies you've heard of how God got a hold of their life and changed them. Maybe you are the horrible person that God got a hold of your life and changed you. God is not concerned about anything other than you're a sinner and he wants to forgive your sins. And so we need to hold to that standard. How do we judge these things? How do I make sure I'm not producing false prejudice? How do I make sure that I'm obeying God? Well, D, I pray for wisdom from the Word of God. I look for wisdom from the Word of God, and it will guide me to righteous behavior. So in this whole issue of prejudice, which seems to be the thing that that God is dealing with here, I need to go to God's Word, and I need to find the wisdom there. And, and, and that's just part of it. So that's, that's section number two. Uh, section number three is one verse, verse 18. It says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praising God, saying, so then, even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Even to the Gentiles. Now, I can't read that with, I can't read it like it's supposed to be read. I've tried a dozen times to, to figure out my voice and whatnot. So I'm just going to have to explain it. These guys were amazed. It, it, was, it was like, Peter, what are you doing eating in a Gentile's house? What's the matter with you? Aren't you a good Jew? What are you, abandoning your nationality? What are you doing? And he says, hey guys, you know what? I had a vision. This guy had a dream. The Holy Spirit said to do this. I went. I shared the gospel. They got immediately saved. They spoke in tongues. I baptized them. I hung around for a few days. This is legit. And their response was, whoa, this is amazing. I can't believe what God's doing. Hopefully they, they reflected back and said, wow, that's kind of what Jesus said. Uh, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Wow, God's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. I didn't think that was possible. I didn't think Gentiles were capable of believing. I didn't think God would accept them. Wow, look what's happening. Maybe they thought back to the Great Commission. Um, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. Wow, all the world is happening. Their response was amazement. Even the Gentiles? Wow, even the Gentiles. And, and this was eye-opening. It was, it was outrageous. But to their credit, they accepted it. In your notes, that's number one, they accepted it. He said when they heard this, they had no further objections. They're like, okay, we're good. They accepted it. Number two, they praised God for what he was doing. That's the next line. And, and praising God, they said these things. They accepted what God was doing, and they praised God for what he was doing. And then three, they marveled at God's words and works. What he had said to Peter, what they, the angel told Cornelius, um, all the things that had gone on. They accepted, they praised, and they marveled. And really, this is a great response. This is how we should respond to God doing something incredible. Whether it's happening to us, through us, for us, or around us. We should be able to look at what God is doing elsewhere and say, man, that is incredible. Praise God. We should be happy for others who are receiving God's blessing. And so this is going on here. So let's, let's finish up our notes. What can we learn from Luke's, re, Luke's telling 
and retelling of Cornelius' story. So I'm going to kind of go back and, you know, he's repeating. I'm going to repeat some things. Go back and kind of hit the highlights of the last few weeks. So number one, when you're seeking God, God will be reaching out to you in return. Cornelius was seeking God. He was in the process of becoming a Jew because he recognized the Jewish God was the real God. He was, he was seeking God. He was practicing the religion as he knew it. And God saw him seeking, and then God responded. I don't think there's a situation possible where someone seeks after the true God that God will not respond and say, here I am. I've heard some amazing stories from missionaries where miracles have taken place, where encounters have taken place, where it's, it's only explainable by God responding to someone who was seeking him. I don't have time to tell those stories. Maybe you'll hear them sometime. But if, if you know someone and they are seeking God, you can rest assured that God's going to show himself to them. Now, if they're seeking their own God, or they're seeking to create a God, or they're seeking to get to heaven by some other means, God's not going to respond to that. God's not going to go, hey, you know, that's fine. Go ahead, that God will work. But if they say, you know, I know there's a God of creation. I know there's a God who can forgive me my sins. I just need to find that God. I just need to know who that God is. God will respond. We talked about that, so I won't give you the scriptures today. Number two, when God speaks something new or unusual, he will be very clear and it will be consistent with his previous messages. And by previous messages, I mean scripture. Okay? God does do new things. He doesn't create new doctrine. You know, there's no new salvation. There's no new plan of, of getting to God. There's no new God or anything like that. But as time changed, God will reach out in different ways. In Peter's day, there was no, no internet. There was no podcast. There was no Facebook Live. There was, there was no audio recordings going on. I have the privilege of listening to some pastors that I respect daily on my phone with my earphones. Times change, methods change, the message doesn't change. But when things are changing, when the church decides, hey, we're going to do this instead of that, we're going to try this new thing, we need to ask the question, is it consistent with Scripture? If it goes against Scripture, then it's obviously not from God, right? If it doesn't go against Scripture, then we continue to ask God to make things clear, to, to make it obvious, to open and close doors. So I, I hesitate to use the words new and unusual because I, I don't really think God does something new, but it might be new to me. And I don't think he does things unusual, but it might be unusual to me. It might be different than I'm used to, different than what I grew up with. But God is at work. And whatever God's doing, if you hear about it on TV or the radio or from this pulpit or from some guy in the street or some guy knocking on your door, whatever God's doing, it will match Scripture or it's not God doing it. We should always remember that. Number three, this is a big one, obedience is the key to effectiveness in the kingdom of God. Obedience is the key to effectiveness. We don't like the word obedience, do we? <laughs> Kids don't like to be told to obey. Employees don't, don't like to be told to obey. Servants don't like to be told to obey. None of us, we don't like to be told to obey. 
You know why? Because Satan knows that's the key to success. Satan wants obedience to be a bad word, to be a negative connotation, to be something we run from. Because Satan knows that as we obey, we gain. As we obey, we come closer to God. As we obey, we're more protected from the world. So when God gives us a command, our response should be obedience. When God prompts us through the Holy Spirit, our response should be obedience. When God gives us a, a, a message to change, we should change out of obedience. When God asks us to do something we're afraid of, we step out in obedience, or we call it faith sometimes. Obedience is a key to effectiveness. The more I obey, the more God's going to interact with me, the more God's going to lead me forward. I've said this many times. God will often give you step one, but you don't get step two until you take step one. You don't get step three until you take step two. He doesn't lay it out for you for you to judge it and, and see what you think about it and then pick it apart. He says, I have my plan. Here's step one. Let's go. Let's take step one. If you can't take step one, I'm not going to waste my time giving you step two. And if you want to do it on your own, go right ahead. When you're done and come back, we'll start with step one again. And we go from there. Obedience is the key to effectiveness in the kingdom of God. Number four, when God repeats himself, stop and ask why. Because there's always a reason. If, if you can't get a promise out of your head, you can't get a commandment out of your head, you can't get uh, a Bible verse out of your head, the Holy Spirit keeps bringing it up. He keeps showing up in a variety of places. Stop and say, why, God, are you, why, why are you, why this verse? Why this promise? Why this command? He, he needs to increase your faith. He needs to change your direction. He needs to correct a behavior. He's bringing it up for a reason. When we read scripture and, and God repeats himself, he's not stuttering. He's not forgetful. You know, I might tell you the same joke three or four times because I can't remember if I told you before. God doesn't do that. He's fully aware of everything he's saying. And when he repeats himself, we need to go back and ask why. When I first read the passage, I'll be honest, my first thought was, great, we've already covered this. I could move ahead faster. And then I went, oh, hold it. That's not right. <laughs> What's here? So when God repeats himself, stop and ask why. There's always a reason. Number Five, kind of catching up to today. Prejudice and righteousness are two very different things. Prejudice and righteousness are two very different things. Often the righteous are accused of being prejudiced, and it's not true. And often the prejudiced claim righteousness, and that's not true. They're very different. Prejudice requires retreat. I'm going to step away from you. I'm going to push you away from me. Righteousness requires advance. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to speak truth. I'm going to live my life in front of everybody. So prejudice draws me away. Righteousness draws us together. B, prejudice comes from man, man's ideas, man's thoughts, uh, man's selfishness, pride, greed, all those things. Prejudice comes from man. Righteousness comes from God. God gives us a way to live and a way to think and a way to behave, and that's, that's our righteousness. Man messes all that up. And then see, prejudice divides. We're going to separate into groups. And we're going to decide which group is better than another. Which group is, is uh, deserving. All these kinds of things. Prejudice divides. Righteousness identifies and invites. Righteousness only separates between believer and unbeliever. 
And when the separation between believer and unbeliever is identified, then the believer invites the unbeliever to join them. Prejudice says, go away, stay away. Righteousness says, come on in, be a part of this. So prejudice divides, righteousness identifies and invites. So don't get the two confused. Don't let them be confused. Satan wants to confuse them. God wants to clarify them. Number six, when God is doing something new to us, like it's new to us, we've never experienced it before, we've never done it before, we've never heard it before, what do we do? A, we check it out to see if it aligns with Scripture. Someone gives us a verse, they don't just go, oh, they got a verse, it must be from God. We go home and we examine the Scripture. Did they take it in context? Did they interpret it correctly? Does this Scripture apply to this situation? Are they handling it right? I'm going to check it out. Make sure it aligns with Scripture before I jump on board. I gave you examples. We've already talked about it. Music, personal expression, ministry. Ministries change. Music changes. All these things change. Is it, going, is it gone far enough that it goes against Scripture? Or is there, am I still within the will of God? Uh, is this ministry? Does it fit the church? Does it fit the Great Commission? Does it fit these things? Or is it gone beyond? Is it, is it fake ministry? Is it really for me and not for others? I'm going to check it out and see if it aligns with Scripture. B, if it's legit, I've checked it out and it's legit, then I'm going to give God the glory. I'm going to give Him the praise and honor. I'm not going to give the person who thought of it the glory. I'm not going to try to get the glory for myself, not my group, not my church, not my denomination. God gets the glory. Wow, look what God is doing. This is incredible. God is doing some great things. I hope I get to be a part of it. So I'm going to check it out with Scripture. If it's legit, I'm going to give God the glory. And then see, I'm going to marvel at what God is doing. I'm going to marvel. Wow, I can't believe that God's doing this. I never thought this would happen. I didn't even know this was possible. Look what God is doing. I'm not going to get jealous, wanting it for myself. I'm not going to get proud if it is having to do with me. I'm not going to get legalistic. I'm going to do what they did. Back at the top of your notes, they accepted it. They praised God for what he was doing. They marveled at it. I'm going to check it with Scripture. If it is legit, I'm going to give God the glory, and I'm going to marvel at what he's doing. And then number seven, this is, this is repetition here, but we're going to say it again. Never let your preferences or traditions become your doctrine. Never let your preferences or your traditions become your doctrine. You know, there was a day when all the guys wore ties and jackets and slacks to church. All the ladies wore dresses. If a guy showed up and he wasn't wearing a jacket, something was wrong with him. If a lady showed up and wasn't wearing a skirt, something was wrong with her. Now, that was kind of okay when it fit the culture where guys always wore jackets and ties and stuff when they went out, when they weren't going to work, sometimes when they did, because that's what they wore. That was the norm, and the same for the ladies. But as time changed, we had to change with that. You know, I wear my tie because I want you to know I'm the pastor. Not because I like it or because I think it makes me special. I just think that when you walk in the door, you ought to be able to pick out the pastor. Someone should go, yeah, that guy in the tie, that's the pastor. Dennis, I don't know what his reason is. He's, he's the greeter. He wants to look official. I don't know. I have a reason for what I'm doing, but I don't expect anyone else to wear a tie. I don't expect anyone to dress like me. Uh, and we shouldn't either. We, we, we can't let our preferences become our doctrine. Um, the last church I was at, I was a youth pastor. We had a guy come in and wore a hat through service. 
we had a deacon meeting about a guy that wore his hat in service. What are we going to do if he comes back and wears his hat in service again? I was flabbergasted. I'm like, we say, welcome back. Glad you're here. Have a seat. That's what we do if a guy wants to wear his hat through service. The guy who was having a trouble to bring it up the thing, military guy, had, had a tradition to overcome. You know, we take our hat off when we enter a building. But does it make you more or less spiritual? It probably wasn't the greatest response, but I had, I had no greater desire than to wear a hat to church the next Sunday. Just to show that, hey, the pastor wore a hat. That's not, that's not what we get excited about, folks. We get excited about people coming to hear the gospel, to hear the Bible preached, to, to be around Christians. We don't let preferences or traditions become doctrine or required practice. That's legalism. And at that point, we're working against God, and we should call that sin. Also, not in your notes, but I mentioned it earlier, we never let our doctrines become preferences either. We never let our doctrines become preferences. That has happened in the church. There are churches who really stand for nothing because they let their doctrines become preferences. Where they had no value other than, this is kind of what we want. And so, they have nothing to preach. They have nothing they're standing for. So we got to watch it on both sides. And, and all this stuff, we're bringing up again and repeating ourselves because Luke decided he needed to tell this story one more time. So the Word of God is living and active and effective for training for righteousness. It caused us to look back again. And maybe we needed to hear this one more time, some of this stuff. Um, maybe we just need to be reminded about traditions and preferences versus doctrine and prejudice versus righteousness and some of these other things. So I don't know what was for you today. I don't know which part was for you. I don't know what you're supposed to go home with, but I believe God has something for you to go home with. Maybe just the encouragement of all of it. Maybe just, just the knowledge that God is in control and even Scripture is laid out according to His plan. Maybe there's some things to think about more deeply. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the message. Thank you that the Holy Spirit was in charge of writing the Scriptures and not Luke or anyone else because I'm sure Luke would have chosen not to repeat himself. But the Holy Spirit said, repeat yourself. And so we go back and we look again and we rediscover some of the points we may have glossed over the first time. And, and we recognize areas where we need to be careful and we need to pay attention. And maybe we leave today with a, a greater understanding of who you are and what you expect from us. Help us, Holy Spirit, to, to take these things to heart and to adjust our lives accordingly. May we live for you in a way that attracts others to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.